All right. Thank you uh, for listening to another edition of the Edlow podcast. As always, please subscribe. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. And this one is one of the coolest. I remember. So I'll share a story here real quick. 1998. Uh, I was it was a Sunday and I was there with my uh, my dad and my brother. And we were uh, we just saw a preview for ECW pay-per-view and we'd never seen ECW before. I had seen Sabu one time at an indie show and knew he was with ECW and heard some rumblings and it was only 20 bucks. So we're like, ah, let's go ahead and watch the the show. And it was heat wave 98. And the main event (laughs) was the Dudleys versus Tommy dreamer, little spike Dudley and the Sandman. And the entire show was amazing, but the Dudley boys tore the house down. And I got every ECW pay-per-view, uh, every other month since then. And today my guest is one of the guys who made me fall in love with ECW and the hardcore wrestling style, Devon Dudley. Devon, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Man, I, I got to tell you, you, for those who don't know wrestling, I don't think they understand how big of an impact the Dudley boys had because you guys, you are legit. There is a legitimate argument that, the Dudleys were the greatest tag team of all time. Right. And did you, when you got into wrestling, did you want to be a tag team wrestler? No, I didn't. Um, no. I was, um, I'm sorry. Hold my daughter. Don't, don't apologize. Okay. I got kids. I, I know what that's like. I, go ahead. Go see mommy. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it normally happens. No, um, I was a big Hulk Hogan fan growing mm. up in Brooklyn, New York. Mm. I, um, I basically, um, one, I idolized Hogan, mm. wanted to be just like Hogan. Mm. And um, I just remember, you know, when I trained at Johnny Rods' gym in Brooklyn, New York, I always liked to do things like Hogan in the ring. And so when I got the phone call to ECW, I thought I was going to be the next Black Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it didn't work out that way, but I, again, I had, um, you know, a lot of influence of Hogan, so I never really wanted to do uh, tag team wrestling. I wanted to be like Hogan. I wanted to do exactly what Hogan did. And then when I got to ECW, I was told that I was going to be in a tag team uh, with Bubba and eight other guys. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, you know, if you watch ECW, you know how that story went. And, you know, I wound up falling in love, you know, with the group and um, loved it. And still I had that itch to become a singles wrestler, not because I didn't enjoy being with Bubba, but because I had that itch to want to be that single star. And I think everybody has that in them in one way, shape or form when they first break into the business. But I found out later on that you can achieve that stardom um, even in a tag team. Yeah. As, long as, as long as you and the other person is on the same page and you're not butting heads with each other. Yeah. Well, and now that was what I was going to ask because, I mean, man, it's actually quite a feat considering that you and Bubba stayed together and relevant for so long without – I mean, you had a couple of times where you kind of broke off and then came back. But really, I mean, the Dudleys were a draw for decades. Right. And did you – that chemistry that you had, was it immediate? Did you guys know each other beforehand or – No, we didn't. When I got the phone call to come down to try out at the ECW Dojo in Long Island, New York, um, <clears throat> I got to the dojo and met Taz for the first time. Uh, Perry Satin was there. Um and Bubba was totally different than what you see now. Hmm. You know, the bully, you know, the bully, bully Ray, Bubba Ray Dudley, he was a quiet, um, I'm not going to say, well, I can't say really quiet, but he was not the bully you see today. Uh-huh. He was very, he was very humble. Hmm. Uh, he was in a corner, actually. I guess he had just got finished training and he was sitting in the corner and didn't open his mouth, didn't say anything. And I remember after I was done with my trial, I went and introduced myself. I said, "How you doing? I'm Devon." He goes, "Hi, Bubba Ray Dudley." You know, hmm. he didn't say he didn't say Mark Lamonico, Bubba Ray Dudley. You yeah, know? <laughs> he kept in character. So I was like, "Okay." I didn't know his real name then, 
And, um, you know, he was very, like I said, he was very humbled and things like that. When you went through the ECW dojo with Taz and Perry Saturn, you were going to be humbled. Mm-hmm. And regardless if you thought you were a badass or not, you were all, you were going to find out that there was somebody better than you, mm-hmm. especially in ECW. There was a bunch of misfits in ECW. There really yeah. was. Uh, but dangerous misfits, I should say. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard stories of guys like, I mean, in fact, where I'm at, I've uh, I've had a lot of dealings with uh, Mustafa Saeed. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the gang, the original gangsters, you know, they they were, uh, you know, he had lots of stories about him and New Jack and, and the things that they did and, and, and whatnot. And it seemed like that time frame. And, and the thing that I loved, I think what, what carried through when I was watching ECW, that was in the time when, I mean, I, I started my wrestling training in 98. Uh, uh, at, at a little place here with uh, Paul DeMarco and, and Oliver John. I ended up finishing with Johnny Jeter just actually last year. I took a long break, but, um, but everybody was hungry. You could tell like everybody in ECW. I mean, I remember that first pay-per-view when I watched you guys, you guys got on the, on the thing and it was just challenging everybody. We'll wrestle anyone in the WWE, anyone in WCW, anyone who wants to come, you know? And I was just like, wow, this is a, uh, this is different. You know, it was different. Long and behold, we didn't know about teams like the Acolytes, you know, Matt Short and Farouk. I think we would have uh, rethought that idea of wrestling anybody, <laughs> you yeah. know, because, you know, we all know the beating that Public Enemy took um, when they went to WWE because they decided to change the finish uh, on how the match was going to end uh, with Bradshaw and Farouk. And you just don't do that. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Bradshaw is a big rugged, you know, guy that could go and ready to drop it, ready to go at the drop of a dime. And Farouk will just kill you. (laughs) 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 I mean, just kill you. No, no other questions. behind. He he, he was just that strong. He was just that massive. And even today, uh, I find myself being very humbled uh, to Ron. Ron was like a father figure. He kept me, he kept me at, at, he kept me at a go. Or I should say, he kept me at peace during the whole Reverend Devon uh, debacle. Mm. Uh, He was the one that told me, you know, you're doing a great job. There are certain people that are in the company right now that don't want to see you succeed. That's what's going on. He goes, I'm telling you, the, the character is getting over. And I and I was I was agreeing with him because you know I was doing promos with Vince mm-hmm. um, that we were only doing in one take, mm-hmm. um, you know. And again, I've said this publicly, and I'll say it again: Triple H at the time would have never laid down for me in the middle of the ring on SmackDown if he thought the character wasn't working or it was garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, he ha- he had that type of pull back then. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not saying that it wasn't somewhat of a work in progress because it was i was just learning how to get on my feet uh as a singles competitor after being in a tag team for so long but that was um that was that was something you know to yeah. actually go through that and for and you know for farouk to take me under his wing and 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 keep me calm cool and collective and to tell me it's not you know he would say it all the time Devin. It ain't you, it's them. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he would always, you know, he would always tell me because Farouk is a, is a straight shooter. He's not going to BS you at all. Mm-hmm. If he feels that you're wrong, he's going to tell you you're wrong. And mm-hmm. I asked him on many occasions. He got, he kept saying, Devin, stop asking me. Devin, I told you. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, you did, sir. You know, yeah. and, you know, he, when I look back at it, he was so right. Him, Rikishi, uh, they mm-hmm. both were there uh, during that time of the Reverend Devon uh, angle and was telling me what things to watch out for. And the thing about it was they're not Nostradamus, but mm-hmm. each week that went by, they would say, watch, I guarantee you this will happen. And sure enough, it would happen. It mm-hmm. wasn't things that I wanted to hear or like because it was my career, but they were right in how mm-hmm. the powers would be at that time were in charge of what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know, so... I thank Farouk and Rikishi all the time uh, for their help during that time. And, you know, it was just those two hold a special place in my heart, which is why when I became a producer backstage for WWE, 
um, I had always made it known to the Usos how I would help them in any way, shape, or form because of what their father did for me, I was going to do for them. If it meant putting my neck out on the line, uh, voicing my opinion about them um, in the meetings with Vince, that I was going to do that just out of sheer respect um, of what Rikishi did for me. Wow. Now, your time as a producer in the WWE, uh, how, how was that and, and how, what did you learn from that? Well, I learned that I didn't like it at first. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> what what did you it, hate you know, about it? Well, you know, the thing about it is, you know, when you're a producer, you can't do what you normally would do if you were talent. In other words, mm -hmm. Vince would come to me and say, you know, me and Bubba, you know, I want this done in the ring tonight and blah, 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 and so forth and so on. Okay, not a problem. We go in and we do it. We mm -hmm. knew how to do it. We didn't have to walk through it step by step. You know, mm -hmm. we knew exactly if he, whatever it was, it nothing was ever too difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we nobody had to hold our hands and whatever. Some talent you had to do that with because they weren't ready mm -hmm. uh, to be on that level. And mm -hmm. at that time, you know, the company was trying to push these guys a lot faster than they should have just mm -hmm. because either they had to get them out there because they were paying them you know, a boatload of money. So they had to get their money back in some way. I don't know, but I know that it just, um, it felt like I was handcuffed in the very beginning mm -hmm. uh, because I would say things and I would assume that they would automatically know what to do. And when it didn't come out that way on TV, I was pulled aside and said, Devon, you've got to work with these guys. You got to, you got to somewhat hold their hand. And you got to go step by step. And that's not something I was used to. You know, mm. I was used to, you tell me what to do and I'll just do it. I don't need anything else. Mm. And, but as time went on, I learned the system and learned how it worked. Um, it was also kind of difficult um, with Vince in a sense, because Vince was very, you know, if, if, if it's not your, it's not talent's fault. It's the producer's fault. <laughs> Mm, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm just like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm telling these guys what to do and they're not doing it. And it wasn't yeah. all, it wasn't all the town. It was just some town that was very green and yeah. very young and did not know how to get over. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. was the problem. A lot, some of them did not know how to get over. A lot of them did. Some of them mm -hmm. just didn't. And it was the producer's fault. Um, you know, if they didn't yeah. or if something went wrong, you know, so you had to make sure that whatever assignment Vince gave you, that it had to work. Because if mm -hmm. it didn't, that was your behind. You know, mm -hmm. you were going to pay the ultimate price for it. So, you know, at first I didn't like it. I hated it. I remember when Hunter Triple H pulled me aside and asked me, did I want to become a producer? And at first I told him, I said, no. I said, I still wanted to wrestle. Mm -hmm. And because Bubba decided that he didn't want to stay any longer in the company and he wanted to move on and do other things, uh, I was kind of stuck. Yeah. So I, I pretty much told him, I said, well, do I have a choice? And he says, not really. The old man wanted both of you. And, you know, we understand that you're playing ball, but, you know, Bubba wanted to leave and do his own thing, which is fine. I, I get that. You know, mm -hmm. no one's forcing him to stay or what have you at that time in mm -hmm. 2016. Um, he had other ventures, other things he wanted to do, which was fine. But then I was stuck. Yeah. So it was kind of like, all right, what do I do? Do I try to go to Japan? And mm -hmm. at that time, I was in the middle of a nasty divorce. So yeah. I did not want to go and do that. I didn't want to have to get on a plane for 17 hours and then have to come back because I had to go to court or something for the divorce. Right. Um, and I was in a uh, kind of bitter feud uh a custody battle with my with my son um and it, it was kind of like stressful so what do i do and it got to the point where i said okay i'll take the producer's role and i remember triple h said you know devon i'm going to tell you like i tell a lot of people that come into this role <laughs> you're gonna have to learn how to eat shit and like it you mm -hmm. really are you're gonna have to learn how to like it you're gonna have to marinate that steak as good as possible and put that shit all over it and taste it and love it and he was right. He was right. When you work for Vince, that's what you have to do. There's going to be a lot of things that you didn't like. There was going to be a lot of things that you didn't agree with. But because this is his sand, it was his sandbox with 
the time, you got to play by his rules. Regardless of if it's right, wrong, and indifferent, you've got to do what that man says. He writes the paychecks. He's the one that's going to give you and make you keep your job or lose your job. So mm -hmm. you do what he says, and that's the way it goes. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I wanted to ask you about this because uh, I got to imagine. So I, I, I served a mission for my church. Uh, you know, for two years in uh, 2000 to 2002. And I had to be alone with a guy who I didn't really know that well as my companion 24 seven for uh, six weeks or three months. You and right. you and you and Bubba were around each other for what, 22, 23 years. I mean, nonstop. I got to imagine uh, that there were times that that had to be hard. Did you guys, were you guys always kind of in like, like, were you guys always on the same page or were there times where you weren't? And how did you work through that? I mean, there were times that we weren't. There were times that we've had arguments and that we didn't agree. We didn't agree on everything. There mm -hmm. were things that we disagreed upon. But for the sake of the team and making money, we knew somehow or another we had to come to a compromise. I don't think either one of us had a big head to where we were like, we're not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. You know, mm -hmm. even if it got to the point where we were butting heads and we just didn't agree, one of us would give in and go, you know what? Fine. Let's do it your way. Mm. And that's the way it, that's the way it was. Mm. Um, we just made sure uh, that we had to be on the same page. And at one point we traveled together all the time. Um, we rode together all the time. We ate together all the time. We roomed with each other all the time. And I remember, it had to be about six, seven months into WWE where we started to separate from each other because, you know, you're around somebody that long, you tend to get on each other's nerves and yeah. <laughs> regardless to, you know, what type of compromise you might try, it's just not going to work. So you need a break. And that's exactly what we did for a long time. I want, he wound up hanging out uh, with Shane McMahon, Dreamer and Spike. And uh, at one point before we did that, we want, it was us, me and Bubba and The Rock. Uh, we would drive together into the different towns and, you know, have good times. You know, Tommy Dreamer was part of that. Um, and again, at one point it was uh, myself, Bubba, Shane and Tommy. Um, and then, you know, we all went our separate ways at one point. I wind up being with Maven, uh, Umanga, Randy Orton and Batista and Dawn Marie. So mm -hmm. we were, that was my crew after Bubba and I had separated on the road um, and kind of, um, you know, started traveling by ourselves and doing things by ourselves. And it made it very delightful because we weren't underneath each other um, mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, we couldn't stand each other. We actually had a break and so, when we got to the building, it was like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? How's everything? And boom, we went, you know, straight to business. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes you need that break and just be able to give yourself some time to, you know, I'm sure that doesn't mean you don't love each other. It just means that, you know, you need a little bit of a rest. I mean, you hear that with you hear that with rock bands. You hear that with marriages. You hear that with everybody. You know, you, you just sometimes you just need a little break and that's OK. So, well, you hear, you hear that with siblings, you know, brothers and yeah. sisters, you know, fighting amongst each other, but you separate them, let them go their separate ways for a little bit, then bring them back. And then they're like brand new again. You know, yeah. I will always, you know, have a special place in my heart for Bubba because him and I did so much together uh, in terms of business. You mm -hmm. know, uh, him and I helped create the Dudleys. Yeah. Um, one could not have done without the other. Mm -hmm. And I strongly believe that in terms of making the tag team work. Um, I don't know if we could have had success outside of the team with other people. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I feel that we were together for a reason. And mm -hmm. even though right off the bat, like Bubba likes to say, we clicked right off the bat, but I don't think we did. I think there were some mishaps along the way. Um, but I think we got that ironed out real quick to where we started just gelling together. Um, mm. I, I think if you don't figure that out, uh, in the very beginning of the tag team, it'll never work mm. because you'll always be butting heads and 
you know, you won't know how to compromise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I have, I had kids, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to take care of and, and things like that in the family. And so I was, it seemed like I was always the one compromising, right. you know, because, <laughs> you know, I knew what, I knew what was at stake, you know, it mm -hmm. was time to make money. It was time to go out there and do our thing and to feed the family. So mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, I would give in even when I didn't want to give in because for the sake of the team and for mm -hmm. the sake of the family, didn't yeah. mean I didn't, didn't mean that I didn't care for Bubba, you know, like as far as I was concerned, he was like a legitimate brother, mm -hmm. you know, someone that yes, we fought, we fight against each other, but yet don't let anybody else do that. Yeah. You know, because we'll have each other's back through thick and thin, no matter what. Yeah. You mentioned your kids and we earlier saw one of your, one of your little ones run in here. And uh, I know that you got, you got a few, uh, you have four from your previous marriage. Is that right? No, I have three, three from your previous marriage. And you have how many from your, your, your current uh, situation? I, I, I have three, uh, three right now. Oh. I have the two little girls and um, I have two little girls and my son was just born. Oh, wow. Congratulations, man. Yeah. Thank so six, you. I, I got, I got like six kids. That's a lot, but I, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask you. Well, I, I have, you know, I people ask me all the time. Well, actually, I have seven. I have oh. three from my, I have three from my first wife, uh -huh. um, which was the twins' mom, uh, uh -huh. who's rest the twins who are wrestling now, uh, and my son Matthew, uh, who's actually at the wrestling school wrestling. Oh, okay. Uh, that's from my first wife, and then I got married to my second wife, which I really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> my second <laughs> wife was all, my second wife was only to get over my first wife. Uh, you know, it took me, uh, it took me a long time to uh, admit that, but it was the truth. I only married her to get over my first wife. Uh, Cause my first wife was my high school sweetheart and we had the twins and we had my third child. So it was very hard when the breakup happened. So I figured, hell, let me go meet somebody else out there and get married, have a baby. I'll forget all about the first one. <laughs> and all that did was bring all that did was bring problems. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's all and that so, did was bring problems. So you have seven. And and it, the, the, what I wanted to say is so I have a sister. My parents are still together, but I have a sister who's 21 years younger than me. My dad is a is a, a recovering drug addict. So he he cleaned up when I was about 17, 18 years old. And then not so I look at my sister and like she's got the dad I kind of always wanted. Not mm -hmm. that there's animosity there, but I'm just like, okay, you got a different deal than I do. And I got to mm -hmm. imagine with your older kids, you were on the road so much. And now you're not really on the road as much as you were, right? You're no, do it. no. So well, here's the, deal, here's the deal with that. You know, with the twins and Matthew, the 22-year-old, I basically, I had them like seven years apart. Mm. So they were only seven years apart. And when I was home, I was home. You know, I didn't go out and hang out with the guys. I didn't go out and do wherever I went, they went. Mm. So, yes, I was absent for a lot of things, but I made it all the birthdays, believe it or not. How I did that, I don't know. Mm. The graduations, I was there for all of that. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of times where I wasn't home, uh, but I was home, you know, when it counted. Mm. And so I don't think that they were cheated at all. Um, the first three. And then my son with my second wife, she, I was in TNA and that was when I was having problems with the mm -hmm. company, uh, mm -hmm. with the whole Dixie re regime. Mm -hmm. um, I was having problems behind the scenes. So I was home a lot during that time. So I mm -hmm. got to see uh, the 15 year old grow up, um, you know, during that time. Mm -hmm. And then of course the last three, with my wife now, I'm home a lot more. So I don't, yeah. I, it's safe to say, I don't think that they were cheated in a sense, like say during the Hogan and Andre era, where yeah. like Piper and them, they were going like 30 to 40 days straight. Yeah. You know, it was only home for a week. That mm -hmm. was a brutal time um, mm -hmm. in pro wrestling when you had a family. Um, the Attitude Era, it was still rough, mm -hmm. but at the same token, you, it wasn't as harsh and brutal as the Hogan and Andre era. I mean, mm -hmm. we gotta say, we flew everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like back in the day when they had to drive six, 700 miles cross country, you know, mm -hmm. to make a shot, you know, you get on a plane and you just fly to the town 
and that cuts out, you know, almost ten hours of your of your driving, you know, right, right, ten to fifteen hours. So it was a little different uh, mm. during the attitude era. Yes, I, although I was gone, you know, like I said, three hundred days, two hundred fifty, three hundred days out of the year. But when I was home, I was home, and I yeah. made sure that the kids, you know, knew their father. Yeah. Well, and that obviously, I mean, the fact that your kids are all, you know, your three older kids are all in the business or working on being in the business tells them that they, they didn't, they don't resent it for not having you around. It sounds like they're, you guys are, you know, that you're still close. Yeah, we're, we're still close. Uh, the twins and I are still close. They live in Georgia now. Um, mm. They, you know, done a lot of stints uh, in AEW. Mm -hmm. uh, they were there and, um, you know, they're looking forward to maybe even possibly, uh, working there. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Matthew, uh, the 22 year old, uh, he kind of moved back in, uh, mm -hmm. with me here. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he basically is at the wrestling school that I have in Winter Park, mm -hmm. uh, Devon Dudley Academy. He's there training, uh, mm -hmm. and trying to follow the footsteps of myself and his brothers. Mm. And the 15 slash 16 year old, he wants nothing to do with wrestling. <laughs> he wants to <laughs> thank God. He wants nothing to do with it. What's um, he into? He's in the basketball. Oh, nice. <laughs> Excuse I'm, me. So, so I'm, 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 I, I, I played basketball myself. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm yeah. a big fan. Yeah. I mean, he can, he can tell you every stat of anybody in the NBA and, and is very accurate with it and very correct. I was shocked. I called him out on it one day, and he was actually right. Yeah. I was looking up for him, but he, he's into basketball. He loves that. And my daughter, who's five, uh, the oldest daughter, she's into gymnastics. So oh. she loves gymnastics. And unfortunately, she loves going to the wrestling school. I hate that. And I'm trying <laughs> to change that. Uh, and my, um, my three-year-old slash soon-to-be four years old next week, She's like a, a dentist a minute. She just likes destroying things. So <laughs> <laughs> there is no um there's no telling what she's gonna want to do. You uh, know, my, oh go ahead, your son. I was gonna say, and my son is, you know, he was just born. So hopefully I can lead him in the direction of playing basketball or maybe even football. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, my son, uh my 17-year-old son, um, he's a he's he plays he's a senior year, he's on the varsity at his at his high school and he's into it too. And we, we're here in Sacramento, the Kings. It's nice to finally be a, have a winning team. We've had a bad, his whole life they've been bad and they just made the playoffs this last year, which got him into it. And so ask your son what he thinks of Demonis Sabonis. I think he's, I think he's probably top three centers in the league right now. I mean, he's, he's almost averaging a triple double every night, like Jokic, you know, so, but he doesn't well, get a lot of plays. Yeah. I wish he was here. I'd have you have a conversation with him because, yeah. I mean, he, he's probably out there playing basketball now. I mean, whenever he's not home, he's on the basketball court, which is great. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking with my older sons who played basketball um, when they were younger, and he was like, man, Preston's better than us. He was yeah. like, he can really play. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, he can really play. He's good. So, you know, listen, if he ever had dreams to go to the NBA, you know, I would be all for it. But I never wanted my kids to be in this business. I always hmm. prevented them and steered them in the other direction. But the first three, you know, unfortunately got the bug. Yeah. So tell me, that's interesting. You know, I had a, I did a podcast with Tito Santana. And he, I asked him, I said, would you do anything differently? And he was kind of like, yeah, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have been in the business. I would have done something else. And it's interesting to hear you say, I'm trying to steer my kids away from the business. So I'm curious, what, what is it about the business that makes you want to steer them away from it? Well, the politics are brutal. And again, you can get politics anywhere in any nine to five, any corporate job. But, you know, the way the business is now is totally different from when I broke into the business. It's a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And it seems that the level of respect is gone. Mm. You know, and I'm not just saying from the young people to the vets, but I'm just saying all around, the respect just seems to be gone, you know. Um, for people who you thought were your friends are not your friends. Mm. Um, quit to stab you in the back and things like that. And I've seen a lot of that, even just especially working behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, you know, somebody talks about this one, and then next thing you know, you're in catering and they're with each other, 
and then kissing them. Hey, how you doing? You know, kissing their behinds and oh man, I miss you, man. And this and that, blah blah blah. Meanwhile, you were just talking about them like a dog in front of me. Yeah, man, that's rough. And it's hard when you're not that way. You know, yeah. like when you're when you're just naturally a a loyal person. I mean, you have to be naturally loyal to be in a tag team for two to three decades, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to be loyal. Um, and so I'm sure it's hard for you if when you're not wired that way to see that happening. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Bubba and I did not have the success that we've had over the years by not being somewhat loyal to each other. You know, and I always like to say, yes, we are we were known as the greatest tag team in the history of this business. But I like to correct people when they say that I don't feel that we were the greatest tag team of all time. And I say this in every interview because I wanted to get out. The dirt sheet writers love to talk about crap that I didn't really mean to say, you mm -hmm. know, but they won't, you know, make it a point to put this out there. As far as I'm concerned, there's been so many tag teams before Bubba and I. The Road Warriors, the Steiner mm -hmm. Brothers, um, Harlem Heat, uh, the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, uh, you know, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, you know, Dr. Death, Steve Williams in Japan that, you know, tore it off the, you know, tore it off the box. Um, you know, the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, I can go on and on for days about great tag teams, Demolition, Legion of Doom. Like I said earlier, um, you know, the powers of pain, so many, you know, uh, great tag teams that came before us and we never had an opportunity to work with, hmm. you know. So what I like to say is we're not the greatest tag team of all time. We're the greatest of our era. Hmm. I like yeah. to say we're the greatest tag team of our era, not of hmm. all time, but our era. And some people still dispute me when I say that. And thank you for the, you know, the compliment, but I just don't feel unless we have been in the ring with all of those guys that I've mentioned and had success, I just don't think that we can say we're the greatest mm. of all you know, time. You know, let me say, you know, sometimes, like I look at myself sometimes and I think to myself, I go, man, I should have been born 10, 15 years earlier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Do you ever wish that you're like, man, I wish we just like a decade earlier had broken and we could have had feuds with all those guys. Do you ever feel that way or not because, really? Yeah. I mean, I, I had so much fun during the attitude era. I really did. But I also know being, being in the time of the Hogan and Andre, the dusty and um, flair era, that was a brutal time. <laughs> there was yeah. a lot of hate. There was a lot of hazing going on. If they, yeah. you know, if the locker room didn't like like you, they made life a living hell. And I know they did that a lot in the Attitude Era, but they were more brutal back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard horror stories uh, during mm -hmm. the Hogan and the Andre era uh, in WWE and horror stories in the Dusty and Flair era. Mm -hmm. So I think God made me exactly where I was supposed to be. Yeah. He gave, you know, they always say God gives you as much as you can handle. And I think the attitude error was what I could handle. That's yeah. why he put me well, where he put me. Well, you know what? Uh, I got to tell you, I remember this kind of popped into my mind. You talk about that. I remember, I can't remember what year it was. You guys were in TNA and you finally had a tag match against the Steiners on pay-per-view that was coming up. Mm -hmm. And I bought the pay-per-view specifically to see that match. And I can't remember which one of them, but one of them ended up injured or didn't make it. And they brought stop. in, yeah. And so you brought in the World Road Warrior Animal to be the tag partner. And I thought, you know what? There's nobody better to if you can't get the real the Steiners. Bringing an animal would have been perfect for that. But I was kind of bummed that that match didn't happen. You know? Yeah. Scott was in Puerto Rico, and I forgot what happened. Something happened with with his lungs, uh, mm -hmm. one of his lungs, and he almost died. Yeah. Uh, he was in the hospital in Puerto Rico and could not fly back home. Uh, he was in ICU. Uh, from what Scott, I remember Scott was telling me they were, they thought he wasn't gonna make it. It yeah. was that brutal, that bad. And of course, you know, we had advertised that match, the Steins against the Dudleys. What were we going to do? And then someone came up with the idea, well, let's see if Animal will do it. And, yeah. you, know, our, our, you know, we lit up. 
Yeah. He was so happy because that was a dream match for us, the mm -hmm. Road Warriors. Yeah. And to see Rick and Animal <laughs> decide who was going to take the heat, it was priceless. Because <laughs> you've heard this, you heard the stories back in the day when those two, when those uh, two teams used to go at each other. Uh, who's going? You know, who's going to take the heat? You, you take the heat. No, I'll take the heat. You, know, you take the heat. You know, back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> so to actually see them do that, it was priceless. It was like we needed popcorn just to sit back and watch it. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was it was great. And I remember, I think it was uh, Rick, you know, had said, damn it, Animal, you just don't change, do you? It was like, God, this is not 1980s. It was, it was funny. It was really hilarious. I remember me you know, and Bubba went, me and Bubba just went, damn, thank God we weren't back then. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I got to ask, you know, there's got to be over the course of your career, man. I mean, especially, you know, you have done literally, I think, everything possible. Were there ever moments where you got to just sit there and soak it in and just be like, I could pinch myself right now? You know, was there a moment you can remember like that? I think that there were certain times where, yes, there was, but I don't think I took it in the way I should have taken it in. Mm -hmm. Um I think, because when I look back at it now, I can't believe that everything is over. I mean, it's not completely over, but the you know, the the height of my career is pretty much over. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the, the 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 top of the success is somewhat over. I I basically, um, you know, should have taken it in a little bit more. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, than what I did. Um, because I, I guess I was one of those guys that always thought that it was going to last forever mm -hmm. and that I would wrestle forever and forever and it was never going to go away. Uh, but mm -hmm. now that I sit back, you know, after having back surgery and all of that, it's like, wow. And I mean, I made a comeback at the 1000 episode, you know, mm -hmm. for TNA and it was great. I felt great. I was in there doing it. But, you know, I also knew that the height of my career was over. Mm -hmm. um, and that I wasn't that same Dudley boy that I was back in ECW. And when I first came into WWE, I was a step slower mm -hmm. um, than I was, you know, before I left. So, but that, you know, father time waits for no one and yeah. it all catches, it all catches up to you. So to actually know that it's over, it's like, damn, I wish I would have just sat back and really you know enjoyed it because i just thought it was gonna last forever you know there were times like for instance i remember when bubba and i first came back to wwe we wrestled the usos at wrestlemania in dallas in front of 110,000 people i remember right before we went out the usos went out and bubba said to me he goes devon capture this moment because you will never probably see it again this will probably be the last time we wrestle in front of a crowd like this. So breathe it in. Don't rush down to the ring so fast. Take a look as you're coming down the aisle and just look and, and, and take it all in. And if you go back and watch that match, you see me stop when I walked out of the curtain and I'm just looking around and I'm going, good God, 110,000 people. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, you know, uh, it was unreal, you know. Mm -hmm. So I never got a chance to do that at the TLC match, you know, mm -hmm. in front of 80,000 people. Um, you know, I never got to do that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in Toronto, you know, none of that. I never thought about doing that until that match, mm -hmm. until that day, until Bubba said something, and then I was able to do it. Yeah. You know, I got to ask, you know, so there are so many people who try to make it in the business and don't make it. And I got to say, you know, the Dudley boys definitely didn't look like the tag team of the 90s that Vince liked or were the guys at the top. And you guys just busted that door down. I mean, it did. You know, I know, I know the story is that you know you got your balls busted a little bit when you got there at the beginning because some people didn't like you. You know, Bradshaw, these different guys. But I'll tell you, from a fan who was watching it, you guys got over pretty quick. I mean, like people <laughs> knew people knew who you were, and people were ready for it when you put May Young through that table. It was it was over. You know what I mean? And and my question for you really is: is what makes you different than everybody else that you were successful when so many other people aren't? Well, 
Bradshaw, I got to correct you. Bradshaw did like us. He just okay. tested us. Okay. Everybody, you know, we came from ECW. So, and so did the public enemy. So we, they didn't know if we were going to have the same chip on our shoulder like public mm. enemy did. So we mm. were tested. Mm. We were tested from Bradshaw and, and Ron. We were tested by Bob Holly. Mm -hmm. We were tested by anybody we got in the ring with at that time, just to see what type of people we were. And mm -hmm. when they realized that we were good guys and, you know, we were hard workers and, you know, we knew our craft and we were ready to study it and learn. That was when, you know, the gloves came off and they were like, these guys are okay. Mm -hmm. We basically absorbed knowledge mm -hmm. from those who had came before us. And I think that's what's lacking with the new generation. They think they know everything. They think they can do it and not still learn. We didn't think that way. Anytime there was a time to talk to Pat Patterson, we would mm -hmm. grab him and talk to him and try to absorb his brain like a sponge because mm -hmm. of just how good Pat Patterson was, especially coming up with finishes and stuff like that. I know Bubba would, I mean, Bubba was hit with him a lot more than I was, but he learned so much from Pat. You know, mm -hmm. God rest his soul, he was just a, a, a straight genius mm -hmm. uh, when it came to stuff like that. So taking the time to learn your craft, even when you have made it to the big dance and you're still studying, I think that is what actually helped us to succeed and to be still on top because we were on the same page. We wanted to be better mm -hmm. with all due respect. To, for, we wanted to be better than those that came before us, not out of ego or pride, but just the fact that we wanted to learn so much that we wanted to be great. We mm -hmm. wanted to be put in that same category. We wanted to be on a lot of people's Mount Rushmore, so to speak, mm -hmm. of tag team mm -hmm. wrestling. Yeah. And, you know, and we did it, but it was a hard road to get there. The Dudley gimmick wasn't the greatest gimmick in the world for us, you know, because the Dudley gimmick, when it first was uh, put together by Raven and Taz and ECW, it was meant to be a joke, mm -hmm. never to be taken seriously. You know, Bubba dancing and stuttering, Chubby Dudley eating himself to death, Sign Guy Dudley, who was a mute, Spike, mm -hmm. who was freaking on an acid trip, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so many different um, uh, Dudleys that came, but it was all supposed, it was one big joke. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I came along and changed all of that and made the Dudley serious, Yeah, you know? Um, you know, that's just, that's something I, I love to take pride in to know that I helped change how the Dudley boys were supposed to be looked upon uh, mm -hmm. and taken seriously. Because again, we knew the talent that we had and we wanted to show the people what we can do. We tried to steal the show every single night. Yeah, and you guys did. I mean, your, your gimmick is specifically that kind of uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, character you could feel it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you didn't have to say much and you, you could feel it. You know what yeah. I mean? The character came from Pulp Fiction, Samuel L. Jackson, Jules. Mm -hmm. uh, and it also came from Mr. T uh, mm -hmm. from Rocky three. Um, mm -hmm. Me, when I was punching people in the corner or hitting them down, talking the crap to them, uh, it was the same thing that Mr. T did in Rocky three. I mm -hmm. idolized Mr. T, loved Mr. T's character. Mm -hmm. And when I met him, I remember him and I were going back and forth in the back in Carolina, uh, doing the Rocky skit together. And uh, <laughs> he's a he's a character boy. He was in full gimmick. He was in full character. It was great. I enjoyed that time with Mr. T, and told him how I idolized him growing up, and how as a kid I memorized every word he said in Rocky Three, and used to go around the schoolyard saying it, yeah. you know, and doing it. And for it to become um, a part of me and the character that I played on TV, it was great. Yeah. You know, that's funny. I, 
I uh, my favorite series is uh, is the Rocky series. In fact, I'm I've been working real hard to try to get Carl Weathers on this podcast. I've worked real hard, and uh, I, I was like, I'm like this close. Hopefully, going to get him on. But but um, listen, if you get him on the show, bring me on there with you. I want to be on there with me. I, will, I yeah, I will, well, I'll, I'll get your info, and I'll I, I will I will do that. I will do that oh, if God. I get him on. Devon will be on there with me. Yeah, yes. no, that yeah, because uh, that. I'm I'm a big Rocky fan, and there's something that that Carl Weathers said, and I wanted to ask you about this, because to do what you've done, you have to be a warrior. And if you know Rocky Four, there's this line that when when he's talking to Rocky about retirement, and he says, "When a warrior doesn't have a war to fight, the war the warrior might as well be dead." And mm-hmm. I imagine someone that's achieved so much as you, you now have to find other ways to achieve. Otherwise, you kind of go stir crazy. So what are you doing now, now that you have extra time? I know you got your wrestling school, but what else are you kind of focusing on? Well, the wrestling school is definitely one big thing. Um, getting these students to learn how to become professional wrestlers um, and learn the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, focusing on a detailing business in Fort Lauderdale. Mm. That's one. And I think, again, one of the major things um, is my kids, mm-hmm. my family, you yeah. know, um, I love being home. You know, what drives people crazy, the screaming, the yelling, the what have you, I enjoy it. You know, people yeah. go, you're crazy. I'm not crazy. That's just what I enjoy. Yeah. You enjoy, like I tell Bubba all the time, you enjoy the freaking, you know, hairband, you know, big tick girl, blonde, big titty girls. Ah. You know, mm-hmm. and all of that. I enjoy rocking my kids to sleep. I enjoy calming them down when they lose their mind. That's yeah. my enjoyment, you know? Yeah. You and I have two different type of enjoyments, my friend. What <laughs> you consider being crazy and obnoxious and whatever, I consider smooth and soothing. And, yeah. you know, that that's just me. Yes, I can't you know have that. You, you know what's funny about that, about having kids? I, I love the fact... So none of my kids, like my boys and I, we love we love pro wrestling. We're going to WrestleMania 40. I got them that for Christmas. We're going to go to Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like, they they have no interest in getting into wrestling. You know what I mean? But but they all have found something that they're passionate about, and it's fun to see. I don't even know where they get this stuff. You know what I mean? Like some of this stuff. Like I have a daughter who's really into theater. I have a daughter who's really into painting. You know, and and my son's into basketball. My other son is into it too. They just—it's really cool to watch kids uh, grow up and become humans. You know? Yeah, yeah. It really so, is. Yeah, it just—it makes you laugh. You just sit there, and sometimes you see things that are that are from you, and sometimes you're like, "Where does that person come? Where did that person come from?" It's kind of nice. Yeah. So, so now, um, so you're, you're focusing on on the training, and I wanted to ask you about this. You know, I think personally, and you tell me your thought on this. Like I, the reason why I took such a long time to go and train again was because here in Sacramento, there, there you could go to a thousand different wrestling schools, but you know you're going to be trained by a guy who was 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 trained by a guy who trained at the Heart Dungeon. You know what I mean? And and it's like, who, who've never been anywhere outside of 40 miles, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you think that if you really want to get in the business, you got to be with somebody who actually made it somewhere? Absolutely. I preach that all the time. I've said that. I said, listen, don't go to a school that the person has never been anywhere or done anything. Because remember, they're the same people that tried to be where you're trying to get to, but yet they didn't make it. So mm-hmm. they decided to get a warehouse, put a ring in there, and call it a wrestling dojo or a school, mm-hmm. and try to teach you how to get to where you want to be. But isn't that funny how they can't do the same thing for themselves, but they can do it for you? Mm-hmm. You know, I wish yeah. the dirt sheet writers would print that. You know, things I say, as opposed <laughs> to saying that, oh, Devon's infatuated with Stephanie McMahon. And it was like, they took that out of content. It was like, good God. I didn't mean, it was the wrong choice of word. I should have said admire Stephanie McMahon. But they ran with it. Oh, my God, Triple H. 
Devon's after your wife. Oh my God, man, bitch, <laughs> shut up. I am not after his wife. I admire Stephanie. I think she's one of the greatest people in the world, one of the soothing people, but I was not trying to get with Stephanie. Good God, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> well, you know, that's funny. Dirt sheet writers, especially right now with all this CM Punk business, it's, I think mm-hmm. it's really kind of, they're kind of showing their colors. Some of these guys, you clearly are on one side or the other and are skewing their quote unquote reporting to based on who they're friends with, you know? Right. Uh, and so do you have, do you have a guy that's like a dirt sheet writer that you're like, you know what? That guy's okay. I like Mike Johnson. Oh yeah. PW insider is my favorite place to go. Yeah. I like those guys. Those guys tell, well, sorry, if you read it from them, it's the truth. Yeah. And the thing I like about them is that they will not print it. If it ain't true, they're going to hear both sides of the story before they print it. And yeah. that's where I give a lot of respect to Mike Johnson. I love him as a, as a sheet writer. I love him as a, as a journalist. Yeah. So to speak. Um, but a lot of the other guys, I have no respect, you know, again, when I had the back surgery or better yet, I had my stroke in 2019 and, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I had full, I fully recovered from it. You know, mm-hmm. my blood pressure was high and all of that. So it caused me to go, you know, to have a stroke working behind the scenes, it was brutal because I was mm-hmm. so stressed out. And like I said, I had a stroke and all that. They had me dying. <laughs> yeah, It was like one foot on the ventilator. Oh, Devon is all, you know, he he's not going to make it. And I'm like, why would you say that? Yeah. You know, I got, I got family members calling my wife, crying. You know, is this true what I'm reading? It's like you're only doing it to mm-hmm. get them to you know tell people oh i read this on such and such dirt sheet really is it that you know you're gonna put and and then another thing was so i got i got angry about it and i said you know if i said i was gay then you would print that right yeah (laughs) i told you if i told you i was going to be on rupaul's drag queen show you would put that (laughs) and i kid you not three days later it was out there (laughs) devon said he's gay and he's going to be on the RuPaul Drag Queen show. And I'm like, you guys are idiots, man. I am not gay. I was not going to be on the um, RuPaul Drag Queen show. I was saying that to make a point. And you proved it by yeah. just putting it out there for no reason, just so you can get a headline. Well, what's so, funny about, some, what's so funny about some of those guys is, you know, one in particular who I won't name, but the guy's been wrong so many times. I don't understand why. We still believe what he says. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because people are going to want to believe negativity. Yeah. That's all it is to it. If it's negative, they want to believe it. But if it's positive, they don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Like I said, me teaching, you know, people that you should go to a replicable school, a person that's been somewhere and can mm-hmm. tell you how to get there and how to do it, as mm-hmm. opposed to someone that's never been there. That's what you should be printing, not mm. the garbage that you see out there. So, yeah. you know, they'll always be out there. They'll always, you know, look at you and I and go F those guys. They don't know what they're talking about, but we do. But yeah. there's not enough of us. There's not enough people like you and I that won't tell these people to go to hell. That's right. the problem, mm-hmm. you know? So, so you always get the people that want to believe the negativity of what's going on and this and that. You know, the whole thing with the CM Punk thing, I, you know, I wasn't in the company, mm-hmm. really didn't know what was going on. So I'm not going to make past judgment on it. I've right. never met the man before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the things that I was hearing, uh, did I agree with? Sure. Was there some things that I didn't agree with? Sure. But again, mm-hmm. that's my opinion. It doesn't mm-hmm. reflect on AEW, CM Punk, or the company or Tony Khan and, you know, and the whole, it's just what I feel is my business, but I'm not going to sit here and plaster it out so people can hear and pass judgment on it. I'm not going to do that, you know, but people do that anyway. Yeah, for sure. You know, let me ask you the last (coughs) few minutes we have, uh, I wanted to ask you three questions that I ask everybody. First one. No, I'm not gay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's the, here's, here's the first question. Is that uh, what would you consider being your biggest success in life? My biggest success in life, I'm going to have to say, which is 
for me is my kids and being there for every single one of their births, uh, being a great father and being in their lives and them knowing uh, what type of person their father is, someone that they can be proud of. You know, my father sold drugs. Um, he was a big time drug dealer in New York next to one of the biggest drug dealers of all time, Nicky Barnes. And he was like his right hand man. And back then in the seventies and eighties, people looked up to people like that. And now of course, a lot of them are dead or in jail, you know, and I never wanted my kids to ever think that their father was going to be that type of person. And so I did the opposite. You know, I'm, I'm a small kid from Brooklyn, New York, that made it big and wanted them to be proud of that. And all the hard work that I did to get to this level um, paid off. Mm-hmm. And were there bumps in the road? Absolutely. Was the storm bigger than what I expected sometimes? Yes. But I plowed right through it with the grace of, with the help of God. And my, my you know, belief in God is very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that, you know, without him, I would not have gotten as far as I am and mm-hmm. still going strong. You know, my belief in the church is very strong. I come from a from a biblical background. My stepfather came in at the right time when he mm-hmm. married my mom. And um, I grew up in a very, very religious home. Mm-hmm. So my mother being a reverend and my father right before he passed away uh, in 2003 became a bishop. Uh, mm-hmm. And my mother took over the church and passed it over 500 members in Harlem, New York. She's the first African-American woman to do that in New York City, uh, in Harlem. And so I was very proud of her accomplishments because, you know, again, we came from the projects, we had nothing. She was pregnant at 15, had me at 16. And so that's a story right there that isn't supposed to, you know, go well, but we turned a negative and made it into a positive. Not only was she successful, her name is Dr. Dr. Renee, Washington Gardner. And, wow. uh, you know, she became a huge success and her son became a huge success. She's had four kids and they're all successful. Uh, yeah. One followed in my stepfather's um, uh, shoes. Another one's a banker. Uh, another one is a fitness, um, I like to say guru. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's a, he's like a fitness, uh, one of fit, fitness top trainers uh, in Carolina. I mean, you know, they're all successful. So my mother did a great job um, in raising all of her kids. And again, a success story, not a not a tragedy. It you know, it went that way, but it didn't. You know, what's amazing about that, and this is something that I find is really interesting about successful people. Most of the time, you know, you hear these stories about one percenters and you hear these stories about, oh, you know, they got a leg up. Most of the stories that I hear on this podcast, this is like, I'm I'm over a hundred podcasts now. And a lot of these people are successful. They all came from that. Mm -hmm. You know, they all came from a situation where they had to be successful. And uh, there's something about that where you need to find that extra gear that you, you, it has to be a place where like, you have to get it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's not something you, you're, you're in a place where you have to find, dig a little deeper to get there. Your mom clearly found it. And now all of you found it. And I think that is the, that's the true story of Devon Dudley right there. You know, yeah. you came from, you came from that and now you've passed it on to your kids. Here's, here's yeah. the next, here's the next question I have for you real quick. What is your biggest failure in life? And what do you think you've learned from? <laughs> um, I don't know if I had any real failures. I mean, it was like, again, I had a lot of success. Um, I think me be, it took me three tries. I like mm-hmm. to say two because the second marriage should not have been. Uh, <laughs> we just don't, we're just going to account. I, we're not going to count that one. <laughs> I'm not even going to count that one. But, you know, my first wife, she was a hell of a woman. And I basically did wrong uh, during the attitude era. You know, I had my you know, faults, as you can call it, you know, being on the road and traveling. And I did wrong. And, you know, to this day, I apologize to her. But I was a boy. I thought I was a man back then, but I was a boy. It took me a long time uh, to grow up. 
And it took my wife now to show me that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my media, my social media, Twitter, I really don't go on Twitter that much, although I have it and I have a lot of fans on it. I really don't go on. I go on Instagram a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do nothing but post and brag about my wife and my kids. Uh, and that's the way I feel. So I think mm-hmm. my my biggest failure was messing up in the very beginning, uh, mm-hmm. coming into this business, uh, not being a man, but still being a little boy. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of people in this business that's still a little boy and then mm-hmm. still do wrong, you know, by their families missing out. I know I was one of them and I was big time, but I've learned. Mm-hmm. I've learned how, you know, to become a man. Uh, again, my wife has taught me that. Uh, my kids have taught me that. And, you know, God himself has taught me that. You know, how to just be a respectful individual and learn how to take care of my family the right way and be respected, not only through my kids, but my wife. So I'm very grateful for her for showing me that. And, you know, because it could have led to a, uh, it could have led to a, a, a life of tragedy in a sense, because, you know, three failed marriages could have been really bad, but, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, that's the unfortunate part, there was, but there was only two. But I recognize mm-hmm. my faults in my first marriage. I yeah. recognize that. And I've also, like I said, I'm not too prideful to say, you know, the things that I've done that I'm not proud of, that that was my biggest failure. But I'm mm-hmm. so glad that I was able to talk to my boys and, you know, explain to them how wrong I was and don't follow in my footsteps, but follow in my footsteps now, not mm-hmm. from the past, but where I'm going in the future. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that I think is an important message to share is that you're you're never, never too uh, old to learn. And you, there's no, there's no failure that, that you can't learn from and overcome. And it sounds like you have. And, and I think it's really cool that you're willing to own your own mistakes. A lot of people aren't. So I, yeah. I just commend you that, you know, a lot of people would come on here and kind of dance around the issue and maybe say something different. But the fact that you say that is really big of you to come on a, a public podcast and say that, I think that says mm-hmm. a lot about your character. Uh, like I said, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, and so I, I have just one last question for you. Um, one day down the road, you're going to pass away and you're going to, there's going to be a funeral and someone's going to give your eulogy. What would be the one thing you hope somebody says about you in your eulogy? That I did things my way. Mm-hmm. Now I don't want people to feel sad or say, Oh my God, you know, what a tragedy. I want them to understand that a small kid from Brooklyn, New York, that was born in the projects from a teenage mother whose life should have been a tragedy became a success. And he did nothing. He did, he did everything there was, I should say, to make it and became successful regardless of how tough it might have been, regardless of how the road might have turned out. He turned a negative into a positive. He kept God in his life and still kept moving forward. And I think that's one of the things that I've always said that I want people to remember that no matter what, don't feel sorry for me, but all, but know that I did things my way in terms of being successful and becoming a successful story. So yeah, that day will come. And I've thought about that many a times, especially after my stroke uh, in 2019. There has never been a day that's gone by that I have not thought about it. What would happen if I passed on? I'm leaving a legacy that will be, you know, a good one, a great one that I can be respected by my peers, my family, and that people can actually say, great job, well done. And, you know, I'm just happy to say that I was able to accomplish that and, uh, you know, I just hope my kids can follow in my same footsteps and realize that the mistakes I made don't do the same thing, do the opposite. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate your time. I'm going to have to schedule another podcast with you so we can talk about everything other than wrestling because I am so interested <laughs> in so many things that you said. I was like, at the last 10 minutes, I'm like, damn it, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, about your origin story and all these things. So we'll definitely have to do this again. And of course, if I get Carl Weathers, I'm bringing you on. I want to. I want to hear. You're, you're a Rocky fan too. We're gonna do that for sure. Oh, absolutely. Listen.
Oh, sure. The king of sting. I want it all. <laughs> yeah. Right on, man. Well, listen, we'll, we'll definitely do that. I appreciate your time. Where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Instagram at testify Devon. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also find me on Twitter at testify Devon. My Facebook is private to my friends and family only. So mm-hmm. that's private. Um, also, uh, they can find me on DDA, which is Devon Dudley Academy, uh, my wrestling school in Winter Park, which is three minutes away uh, from the Performance Center. Uh, we have a lot of, you know, great people that work out there. We have some NXT stars that come in. We have some main roster people uh, that come in and, and do things with our students and, you know, try to get themselves into better shape when they can't use the PC or what have you. They'll call me and come down to the wrestling school. Uh, I'm pretty much all over that. And in terms of that social media, we have a special now going on. It's um, $1,000 for 12 months for one Mm. year, paid up Mm. in full at my wrestling school if you do it before January 9th. But after January 9th, it's $1,500 for the year. And that's for... Uh, that's for one year and it ends on the 31st of January. Normally it's 3,500 for the year. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say, but for those who don't know, that is a steal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can, <laughs> yeah. A year for a thousand bucks. Cause I mean, the, the cardio you get out of a pro wrestling, I mean, ring shape, <coughs> ring, ring shape is very different than an elliptical or a treadmill. <laughs> you know Absolutely. I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's rough, man. Johnny had us doing an hour of cardio before we even got in the ring. And it was Absolutely. like, it was the most brutal running the ropes. I'll, you know, doing a, doing quarter rolls, forward rolls, backward rolls, bumps, flip bumps. I mean, just like for an hour. I mean, just to the point where you're ready to throw up before you even get in the ring, you know? Look, so, some of the stuff, some of the stuff I put my students through, I'm like, damn, I'm glad I didn't do this when I was coming. <laughs> <laughs> you need that though. You know what I mean? I had Ken Shamrock. Absolutely. Going. I had Ken Shamrock on, and he said something really interesting. He said most of the people, at least in MMA, they blow they blow up, and that's why they lose. So mm-hmm. you're, he's like, I just knew I was never gonna I was never gonna lose because I didn't have the cardio. So, right. Yeah. So anyhow, Devon, it's been a pleasure. Like I said, we're definitely gonna have to do this again. I'm gonna I want to hear your origin story, and like I said, we're gonna make that Carl Weathers thing happen. So for those oh, of yeah. you who've listened, for those of you who've listened, subscribe. We got a lot more coming up. Devon, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me.